Jesus echoing Jeremiah, a prophet who isn't allowed to pray, and uncircumcised ears. All that and more on The Backdrop. Welcome to The Backdrop, where we look at some of the interesting and informative aspects of Jeremiah that just don't quite fit into our sermon on the weekends. This week, I'm going to be diving in mostly to chapter 7 of Jeremiah, but with a few references here and there to the chapters around it, just because they flesh out some of the themes that we're going to be looking at today. And we're going to start with a theme that runs in and out of this whole section of the book, and that's the theme of listening. I first noticed this starting in chapter 7, verse 23, but then once you start noticing it, it's one of those things you start noticing popping up darn near everywhere. But just to use the verses after 23 as an example, God says, listen to my voice. And then verse 24, but they didn't listen. They didn't incline their ears. Verse 26, they didn't listen to me. They didn't incline their ears. Verse 27, speak to them, but they won't listen to you. Verse 28, say to them, this is the nation that hasn't listened to the voice of Yahweh its God. You get the idea. This is a continuation of the theme we saw in chapter 1, when Jeremiah is called and the words of God are what he is called to. This whole book is God trying desperately to be heard, for God's people to finally listen to God's words. The Old Testament scholar Walter Brueggemann makes the point that when people have settled into complacency and comfort and easy slogans like Israel has in the time of Jeremiah, that it requires a different form of communication to try and break through that. The prophet comes with poetic language, striking and even offensive images, jarring comparisons and analogies, trying to break people out of their complacency so that they can finally listen. And of course, most people don't. They hear these words for what they are, offensive, challenging the status quo, and so they don't listen. They reject. Usually, they reject violently. And we'll see more about this when we compare this section of Jeremiah with the book of Mark later on. But the people of Israel have fallen into complacency here. And we looked a bit at this in the sermon this week. This is Yahweh's palace, Yahweh's palace, Yahweh's palace. We're safe. We're rescued. Even if we go after idols during the week, we come back to the temple and to our sacrificial system too at the same time. And that's fine, right? In verse 21, God says, add your burnt offerings to your sacrifices. Eat meat. In other words, the offerings that you usually burn up as part of the sacrificial system, they're just a waste of good meat. You might as well eat them too. And then the section we were just looking at with the listening theme begins right after this verse. The scholar Christopher Wright makes the point that God is basically telling the Israelites in these verses to read their Bibles in the right order. The sacrificial system isn't the first thing God told them to do. The first thing God told them to do was to listen. To listen to his words and God's commands. And instead, they're doing the religious practices, but not the listening part. What are they listening to? They're listening to the words that make them feel good. The words that comfort them and tell them that everything's fine. This is Yahweh's palace, Yahweh's palace, Yahweh's palace. Going back to chapter 6 in verses 13 and 14, God says, Because from their smallest to their greatest, every one of them is greedy for loot. Prophet and priest alike, every one of them is acting falsely. They've healed my people's wound too easily, saying, things are well, they're well. 
when they're not well. Going even further back to chapter 5, verses 30 and 31, God says, A devastating thing, a horrifying thing has happened in the country. The prophets prophesy falsely. The priests rule on the basis of their own power. And my people like it that way. This is always the challenge. We don't want to hear hard words. We want to hear that things are well. They're well, even when they aren't well. Which results, as chapter 5, verse 21 says, in eyes that don't look and ears that don't listen. Walter Brueggemann says about this verse that our tendency as humans is always to drift, to drift into a casual, uncritical faith, one that makes us feel good, but one that operates almost like a narcotic, an opioid, a drug. So we feel good, but things are not good. So what to do? Chapter 6, verse 10, uses a really interesting image to get at this. God says, To whom shall I speak and testify so they will listen? No, their ear is uncircumcised. They can't give heed. No, Yahweh's message has become for them an insult. They don't delight in it. An uncircumcised ear The obvious image here is that there's a flap of skin covering your ear hole, making it so the sound can't get in. But I think there's another aspect to this particular image, which the second part of the verse, Yahweh's message has become for them an insult they don't delight in it, gets at. Circumcision was intended for one main reason, to set the people of Israel apart from the other nations, to mark the covenant they had made with God. It was a very physical symbol that they belonged to Yahweh. It was a physical reminder that they were supposed to live lives aligned with what God said and not with what the world around them said. There wasn't really a practical purpose to circumcision, although plenty of people have tried to invent one. It was just to show we belong to God. We are a part of the covenant people. And so if their ears now are uncircumcised, the idea is not that they can't hear anything. It's that they can't hear God. Their ears aren't set apart. They don't belong to God. And so they're hearing the words of the world around them, the false words of the prophets who say, things are well, but they can't hear the word of God that they should be set apart to listen to. Listen, 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 God says, but the Israelites don't listen. And so God says, I'm going to stop listening to you. In chapter 7, verse 16, Jeremiah is told to stop praying on behalf of the people because God isn't interested in listening anymore. This was traditionally a core job for a prophet to intercede with God on behalf of the people. Moses did it. Abraham did it. Samuel did it. Isaiah did it. Jeremiah did it. And now God says, stop it. I don't care to listen anymore. This makes me think of how our kids are constantly wanting to be listened to. But then it doesn't always seem like it's a two-way street. When I have something to say to them, they don't listen. And after a while, it's like, hold on, when you don't listen to me, I don't really feel like listening to you very much. I think God is getting to that point with Israel and Jeremiah. And so what about us? Are our ears circumcised? Are we listening to the sometimes challenging but ultimately life-giving words of God? Or the soothing but empty voices of the world around us? It's a question we, and all of God's people, 
need to constantly be asking ourselves, I think, because this cycle plays out again and again throughout history. But then for the rest of our time today, I wanted to look at one of those things that's easy to miss, but really interesting once you see it. And that's the parallels between Jeremiah 7 and Mark 11 to 13. And I believe Christopher Wright, the scholar, was the one who was pointing this out in his commentary and that I first uh, got this from. But in Mark 11, in case you don't have it all memorized, Jesus enters Jerusalem on a donkey, then goes into the temple and clears it out, calling it a den of robbers. Then Jesus tells his followers to have faith in or trust in God. Then in Mark 12, Jesus tells a parable about a vineyard where the owner keeps sending servants to collect the fruit, but the servants are beaten and killed by the tenants who are working the vineyard until finally the owner sends his son who is also killed. And those are usually thought to be prophets and Jesus himself that are being referred to in that parable. Then later in chapter 12, Jesus is asked about the greatest commandments and says, well, it's love God and love your neighbor, that these are better than burnt offerings and sacrifices. And then Jesus criticizes the scribes and Pharisees for leading the people astray. And then finally in Mark 13, Jesus uses apocalyptic language to predict the destruction of the temple and of Jerusalem, mentioning among other things an abomination of desolation, which is been speculated about endlessly for centuries. Okay, now meanwhile, in Jeremiah chapter 7, Jeremiah is told to go to the temple with a message critical of it and what people are doing there. He calls it a cave of thugs or a den of robbers because people are not living lives of trust in God, but are instead putting their trust in religious behaviors. Then Jeremiah predicts the destruction of the temple and of Jerusalem, because God has sent prophet after prophet to warn them, but they aren't listening to any of their words. They are rejecting the prophet's messages, and instead of trusting God and living justly towards their neighbor, they're trusting in burnt offerings and sacrifices. And Jeremiah then uses apocalyptic language to say that they have set up abominations in my house, and that therefore the day is coming when the land will become a desolation abominations leading to desolation. It's not a one-to-one retelling of Jeremiah that we get in Mark by any means, but there are way too many parallels to be accidental. This is an example of what the scholar Richard Hayes and others have called the intertextuality of the Bible. Intertextuality. We should not, cannot approach the Bible as a collection of verses that can be read in isolation, because instead, It is an interwoven tapestry with connections all around. Hayes says that the New Testament teaches us how to read the Old, and the Old Testament teaches us how to read the New. The way Jesus went about his final days after entering Jerusalem on a donkey was intentionally meant to recall to people's minds passages like this one from Jeremiah. The message is clear. You all are making the same mistakes today that the people made in Jeremiah's day. And destruction and exile is coming for you, just like it was coming to them. And the way forward for you is the same as it was in Jeremiah's day, to return to God, to put your trust in God, which necessarily means loving your neighbor as well. So Jesus's message is a message of judgment, yes, but also one of hope, just like the message here in Jeremiah. A remnant can choose to trust 
God, and God will form a new people out of that faithful remnant. Which is, of course, why we are still reading Jeremiah today. Because just like Jesus saw the cycle portrayed in Jeremiah recurring in his own day, we think we can see some of those same aspects showing up in our own day. And so we can choose to listen, to listen to the hard words of God, challenging us to put our trust more fully in God for our safety and our security and our life. We can live out that trust through love of our neighbor, living lives of justice and grace towards the vulnerable. And we can, in that way, find the path of life. Thanks for listening to The Backdrop this week. I hope it sheds some more light on what can sometimes be a challenging book of the Bible to read, to say the least. If you're using this podcast as a part of the discussion for your You and a Few, we will post some questions in the show notes on the website. And also on the website, PomonaValleyChurch.org, is a link to our Zoom church gathering. We have shifted to the mornings, you may have heard, 9 a.m. on Sundays. And this coming Sunday, we will be diving into chapter four of Jeremiah. We hope to see you there, and until then, have a great week.